Well, good morning. There we go. That's the trigger. Yeah, I had a different title for the sermon, but I don't remember what it was, and I didn't like it, so I changed it on Thursday. But I didn't warn Jeff, because I'm not used to them working ahead. Usually it's Sunday morning they're finding stuff, but... <laughs> I will know now when Jeff's up, we're on it. This week I read a story about a rite of passage that would happen in some Native American tribes when boys would become, uh, they'd turn 13. And so on the night of their first teenage birthday, they were blindfolded and taken several miles from their camp. The warriors would leave this new teenager alone in a dense, dark forest. And he would be forced to stay there and fend for himself throughout the night. And as you can probably imagine, that could be pretty scary, right? Darkness could seem endless, wild animals get howling, the wind makes some strange noises, leaves sound like an approaching enemy, your imagination gets going probably a little bit. Could be a rough, sleepless night for the young man. But after enduring a night without rest or sleep, the dawn would finally come, and the young man would see that the forest, he'd see the forest for what it truly was. You got the flowers blooming, you got tall, majestic trees swaying in the breeze. You've got wildlife scurrying around for food. But to his surprise, he would eventually see this imposing male figure who was only a few yards away. Because unbeknownst to the team, his father was there the whole time, spending the night there, and ready to protect his son against anything that might be too dangerous in that forest. Fear is something that can grip us at a moment's notice, right? Like the young man in the forest, a lot of times we start to imagine what could be out there, and then we get filled with fear. Nowadays, we do a similar thing, and a lot of it's up here. You know, a lot of it's in our minds. If you're like me at all, you might tend to overthink things a little bit, and you let those thoughts drive you to be afraid of things that you probably really shouldn't be, whether it's dealing with people, doing something that you've never done before, putting yourself out there. Things like that can cause you to fear. Now, for some of you, that's not the problem. That's not anything. But there's still some things that you know might cause you some anxiety, um, like volunteering in the children's ministry. That, that could cause you anxiety. I don't know. But... But like this young teen on his rite of passage with a lot of these things, once we realize that our father is there to protect us and he's been there the whole time, things don't seem quite as scary as before. Today, as we continue our summer in the Psalms, we're going to be looking at Psalm 91. In this Psalm, we're going to see how our Heavenly Father is there to protect us from the many dangers of this life. The author, who is anonymous, uses the hidden dangers as well as dangers that are easily seen in order to illustrate that God is always there and always will be there to protect and to save us. And so let's get into Psalm 91, read the first two verses. First one says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress in whom I trust. Jimmy Stewart, the actor from It's a Wonderful Life and many other movies, enlisted in the Army Air Corps when the United States entered World War II in 1941. As he was preparing to go to overseas, his father, Alex, choked up as he was trying to bid his son farewell, and he just couldn't quite get the words out, so he wrote him a, a letter, a little note. 
and he couldn't read it out loud, and so he just asked Jimmy to read it on when he was en route. And it said this, it said, My dear Jim boy, soon after you read this letter, you'll be on your way to the worst sort of danger. Jim, I'm banking on the enclosed copy of the 91st Psalm. The thing that takes the place of fear and worry is the promise of these words. It said, I'm staking my faith in these words. I feel sure that God will lead you through this mad experience. I can say no more. I only continue to pray. Goodbye, my dear. God bless you and keep you. I love you more than I can tell you. And Jimmy returned from the war unharmed, even though his record included 20 combat missions. During the height of the battle, Stuart said that he learned to lean on the words of his tattered copy of Psalm 91, especially verses 1 and 2. And upon returning home, he told his father, what a promise for an airman. I placed in his hands the squadron I would be leading, and as the psalmist promised, I felt myself borne up. This psalm has been a source of comfort to many throughout the years. Uh, one of our members, uh, Casey, was telling me this week that when he started following Jesus, you know, one of his mentors, I believe, was telling him that this verse is God's 911 call. You know, so if you're in an emergency, go to Psalm 911. These verses give us the theme for the psalm. For those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High, they find rest in the Almighty shadow. He is my refuge. He's my safe, hidden place where I can go, and he protects me. He is my fortress with the high walls, which will repel my enemy's attacks. He is my God in whom I trust. That's a pretty good way to start a psalm. And as Alan Ross writes, a solid faith in the Lord is like dwelling in a completely secure place. However, it is better than that because it, is, it means living under divine protection. And in the next section, we're going to read more about the Lord's protection. Verse 3, it says, Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. The Lord protects you from hidden dangers. The author uses the fowler's snare which in doing some research this week, Fowler Snare is a, a net that would be hidden and it'd be used to trap birds. The Egyptians would use two parts of it. If you think like a bear trap kind of thing, where two sides are spread apart and then there's, there's tension, and then you fasten a stick to hold it, and when a bird or animal would come and touch the stick, then it would snap closed. And they would catch you know, the bird or the animal. And so it's hidden, right? Like you can't really see it. Second hidden danger is what is translated deadly pestilence. A pestilence is a fatal epidemic disease. Oftentimes it's referring to the plague. Um, and, and, of course, we would have no understanding of an epidemic or a pandemic or anything like that, right? But that can be a scary thing because it is a hidden danger. I mean, if we think about COVID, you, you really didn't have any idea who had it and who could give it to you or anything like that. And heaven forbid, um, if you had a cough, yeah, because then you were immediately ostracized. <laughs> it's like, I just have a tickle in my throat. It's like, no, go away from me. Put on 15 masks. These are examples, though, that the author is using of hidden dangers, right? What he's saying is that God will protect you from the hidden dangers. He will take you under his wings where we find refuge, where we find shelter. His faithfulness will protect us. It's our shield and our rampart. Rampart is like the outer wall of a city or, or a, uh, a castle or something, you know, where 
that it was wide enough at the top that people could be posted up there for protection and everything. That's, that's what a rampart is. A lot of times, though, we, we, we need to get past the fear of the unknown. Like, we need to get past the hidden dangers in order to move forward, and, and God is faithful to protect us during those times. I was reading about Chuck Yeager, the pilot who broke the sound barrier, and that was, that's an unknown danger, right? The sound barrier. Every time the pilots would start to get near mock speed, apparently the, the plane that they were in would vibrate so violently that they thought it would just come apart. And even some scientists, a lot of scientists, apparently believe that the sound barrier would just crumple a plane. And so there was definitely some bravery involved. And Jaeger, on October 14th, 1947, he was attempting to hit the goal of .97 Mach. He wasn't even trying to break the sound barrier that day. But as he neared his goal, he experienced the same vibrations that a lot of the people believe would lead to death and disaster on the other side of it. But that day, something different happened because the, the needle, the Mach needle, fluctuated a bit, and then it just it, it tipped off the scale. And the vibrations stopped, and, and Jaeger was flying supersonic. So for 20 seconds, he was racing through the sky at 700 miles an hour, and he said it felt like gliding on glass. He said later, Grandma could be sitting up there sipping lemonade. (laughs) After all the anxiety, breaking the sound barrier turned out to be a perfectly paved speedway. Oftentimes, when we break through the fear, we find, you know, it's not that bad on the other side. Because God provides his protection, those hidden dangers really shouldn't scare us, but should help push us forward. Psalm continues in verse 5 where it says, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. I graduated high school in 1997, and during those high school years, you know, alternative music and, and like, grunge music, that, that was what was pretty popular. And everything started to lean into that. A lot of companies started to lean into that. And one brand that was pretty popular during that time was a brand called No Fear. And I remember some of the guys in my class had some of the No Fear t-shirts, which were pretty popular. They had all these sayings on them, some of them not appropriate for church, so I'm not reading those, but um, some of them were things like this, like you have to hate to lose to win, or fear is in the eye of the beholder, don't let it be you, or fear is the difference between king of the ocean and chicken of the sea, or second place is the first loser. And then there was one I don't ever remember seeing, but I loved it. Um, I live with fear every day, and on the weekends, she lets me golf. No fear. (laughs) I'm not married. I can say that. That's awesome. (laughs) We need not fear because we have the Lord's protection over us. Sure, there are hidden dangers, but... We don't need to fear them. We don't need to fear the outward dangers either. I mean, the author here is, remi- is, is telling you, you know, don't fear the terror of the night. We don't have to fear that, which would be hidden. Or we don't have to fear the arrows that are flying by day. Or the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or the plague that uh, is falling at midday. 
And he talks about the thousands that, that fall at your side or 10,000 at your right hand. Most believe this speaks to wars that are happening around you. But all of these things are going on, and yet we do not fear because the Lord is with us and has promised to protect you. God will provide for you. Which, as we continue, we see that in verse 9, where it says, If you say the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. There's a story of a father who asked one of his three little girls who'd just gone to bed if, if she had said her prayers. And she said that she hadn't. And so he asked her, well, are you, are you not afraid to go to bed without having prayed? And she answered, well, not tonight because it's my turn to sleep in the middle. How great, how great is having that, that feeling of security, you know? When, when we read verses 9 and 10 and say that the Lord, if the Lord is our refuge, our dwelling place, no harm is going to overtake us. No disaster comes near our tent. How? Because God commands his angels to guard us. You know, as I was studying this week, this seems to be the only place where it specifically talks about something like a guardian angel. Um, but we see other times in Scripture where angels have been sent to protect the followers of God. I love one story in particular in 2 Kings. The Arameans were at war with Israel, and their army had surrounded the city of Dothan, where the prophet Elisha was. His servant gets up, and he sees the army, and he's scared. But Elisha's calm. Why? Well, let's see. 2 Kings 6.16, he says, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us, are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Hebrews 1.14 talks about angels being ministering spirits to those who will inherit salvation. God sent an angel to protect Daniel from the mouths of the lions. An angel ministered to Jesus both in the wilderness and in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's interesting, this passage in particular is the one that Satan quotes to Jesus during Jesus' temptation. When Satan takes him to the highest point of the temple, he says, if, if, if you are the Son of God, then you should throw yourself down because the angels will protect you and lift you up. Won't even stub a toe. You can find that in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. We have security from God. He provides for us. As with everything, though, we can't read this without reading the rest of the Bible. As one commentator writes, it's true that the Lord is always present with his people, even during the, their darkest distress, but he may well use adversity in their lives to produce godly virtue. So Psalm 91 should not be taken as a guarantee against all adversity. He continues writing that, Paul cautions in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who live for God will suffer persecution. And in Philippians 3.10, he indicates that to know Christ, one must know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Nevertheless, though, Psalm 91.10 reassures God's people that even though danger may swirl all about them, they are safe in his care. So we have affirmation of this in particular from God in the closing section of this passage. 
Verse 14 says, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Oliver Cromwell was an English statesman in the 1600s, and there was a time when his secretary was dispatched to the European continent on some business, very important business. And he stayed one of the nights in a seaport town, and he was tossing and turning, unable to sleep. And according to an old custom, there would be a servant that would sleep in the room with him. And on this occasion, the servant was sleeping very soundly. And so the secretary did what, you know, people do apparently when, you know, you're not sleeping well, but somebody else is. You, you wake them up, right? And the servant's like, why are you not sleeping? How can you, why, why can't you rest? And he said, I'm so afraid that something's going to go wrong with the business that I was sent to. And the valet is like, Master, may I ask you a question or two? He's like, sure. Did God rule the world before we were born? Most assuredly, he did. Will he rule it after we're dead? Certainly he will. Then, Master, why not let him rule in the present, too? Secretary's faith was stirred. Peace was the result. And a few minutes, both of them had fallen fast asleep. In this final passage of Psalm 91, God speaks and promises his rescue, his protection for the one who acknowledges him, acknowledges his name. He will answer when we call. He is with us in times of trouble. He will deliver and honor us, giving long life and satisfaction and salvation. Again, though, as we read these words, we might be tempted. We might be tempted to take it in one of three different ways. There's the literal way where the words mean what they say and everything that they say. And that one can be tough, though, because, you know, we've looked at Scripture already where texts don't seem to match up with this, and we've all lived life where life doesn't seem to match up with this necessarily. We go through times of difficulty. We go through hard times. Righteous people die young. People who suffer for doing good Christians overseas are being persecuted. You might be having a hard time. You read a passage like this, what's that going to cause you to do? You might start to question God. You might start to wonder, well, where are the answers? And, and that can rock your faith. But one thing is to remember, it does say in this passage, God will be with us in times of trouble. So not everything's going to go perfect, but he will be with us during those times. So you can read it literally, but you can also read it figuratively. You can read it hyperbolically um, as part of that. Like if you look earlier, you can note where it talks about the thousand who fall at your side, and then the number jumps to 10,000, right? There's probably a little bit of hyperbole there. Or you got the fowler's snare, the picture of God with feathered wings, and both of those are figurative language. Like we're not actually going to get caught in a uh, fowler's snare. I mean, if you do, then you need to be watching where you're stepping. But it might lead us to take the promises that way, though, too, that they're figurative promises. But if we do that, then we're like, well, what good are the promises if they're figurative? Third way that we could look at it is to understand it eschatologically, which just means, you know, that it looks forward to the last things, the end times. 
that God will deliver me, he will rescue me, he will honor me, he will give me long life in eternity. It's just not, not going to happen right now. It's going to happen in the future, at the end. But then we ask the question of whether or not the promises are only for our eternal life or if they can be applied to now. Probably the best way to look at it is that each viewpoint has its merits. As Mark Furtado writes, he says, perhaps one or perhaps each provides a window on the truth. The promises do contain a hyperbolic element, but does not the hyperbole function to produce faith in these promises in the concrete circumstances of this life? Certainly the purpose of the text is to instill within us a faith in God as the ultimate source of our protection from the dangers of this life. Even as we wait for the perfection of the life to come, when we will be categorically free from all danger. So all three of these views can work together. The point, though, of Psalm 91 is for it to help us trust God, help our trust in God. I mean, it's the whole thing, right? Like, he's our refuge. He's our fortress. We dwell in his shelter. shelter. We rest in his shadow. We will not fear anything but the Lord. Oswald Chambers writes, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that When you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you don't fear God, you fear everything else. Very last part of Psalm 91 where God speaks says that the Lord will show the one who loves him his salvation. And he's followed through with that promise. Because he sent his son, Jesus, to seek and save the lost. Fear is something that might get a hold of us. You know, we talk about fear of the unknown. What's the greatest unknown? Death, right? That can be a scary thought because we don't know what's on the other side of that. But God has provided a way to rescue us, to protect us, to deliver us, to give us eternal life with him through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you've not started following Jesus, we invite you to do that today. We don't want to wait. But we need not fear, because the Lord is with us. We're able to face our fear, though, if we have, with faith in the one who can save us. It's by faith that we follow him. It's by faith we're able to stare into the unknown with no fear, because the Lord is with us. He said, Father, where the teenager's out in the woods, he's, he's right there with us the whole time. And he will protect us from the dangers. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we lean in on the promises of Psalm 91. That you are our refuge and our protection, the shadow. We rest in your shadow. And you have promised in this passage, in this beautiful work, that it is just so full of faith for you, Lord. We, we rest in that promise that we see. The promise that you will protect us, that you will be with us, even as we fear this world, fear the things of this world, and fear the things to come but we know that you're there. And so we know that we really, we really don't have anything to be afraid of. 
It's like scripture says, what can mere mortal man do to me when I rest in the light of the one who can, who created all, who can save from all, and who has provided his son to rescue us as he went to the cross so many years ago. Father, we, we just thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much that he is the, the physical manifestation of that promise, Lord. That you, will, that you have sent him to rescue us, to save us by going to the cross, to die for us. To take what we, to, to do what we could not, to take our sins to that cross. And Lord, we just rest in that promise. We take this point in our service and communion to remember the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And, and I just pray that for each of us as we go through our week that we would that we wouldn't fear anything. That we would just remember that you are with us. And we fight our fear with faith. Thank you so much, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.